begin. The internet, a doorway to the world's most fascinating and terrifying communities. To explore it is to interrogate that which makes us human. Only some are brave enough to venture into these other worlds. Only some are brave enough to be called. The Internet Explorers. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the second episode of The Anderson Brothers Internet Explorers. Internet Explorers. I am Evan Axel Anderson. I'm David Ryan Anderson. I know it's only our second episode, but this is actually a really special event in Anderson Brothers Internet Explorer history. You know mm. why that is? No, today is. Uh, it's the second episode, which means that this isn't just a one-off thing that we're going to actually like keep doing this like for several episodes. No, what it is is oh. it's we're coming up to the anniversary of Halloween this month. And <laughs> is it is it called the anniversary of Halloween? Because of that, what's going to happen is. One year ago today. Don't, don't. Let's not. It's too soon. Let's not mock it. <laughs> I, so what I, what I was thinking is, let's make this a real creeped out episode. Tell some spooky stories. Spooky stories. It's pretty spooky. What's that voice? Eat some creepy pasta. Creepy, what? And this is all really just an excuse to do an episode about the Montauk Project. I'm bringing it up because Stranger Things is coming out season two. Mm. And Stranger Things, I am convinced beyond a shadow of the doubt is based on these old conspiracy... Th- not that old. But the, this this whole like conspiracy theory that revolves around this thing called the Montauk Project. Oh, I should probably mention also, the working title for Stranger Things is Montauk. I feel like that's probably the most glaring evidence. That is, that. That is the most definitive. I mean, I, I figured it was based on this anyway beforehand, yeah. but once I found out that, that I was like, okay, well, uh, clearly, yeah. Apparently, it was supposed to take place. So Montauk is in, um, in New York, I think uh, Long Island or, or somewhere around there. Yeah, so, my understanding was that the original base was farther up in like New England, but I think the final base that they made, or am I misunderstanding? I don't, I don't remember. It doesn't matter. The final base was at Montauk. There's a reason why it's called Montauk. Yeah, yeah. That, that's it. So these are real stories, not not true stories, but they're real stories that like people tell in the mm-hmm. world. And the Montauk Project is this crazy thing. Essentially, the Montauk Project is if you took every major conspiracy theory of the 20th century. And threw them all in a pot. The Montauk Project is the central hub of everything. Okay. So as we talk about this stuff, I just want to warn you, as crazy as it sounds, the story is going to get so much weirder. Like, there is an endless fount of bizarre conspiracy theory madness. And anyone who's, like, interested in weird government conspiracy stuff... This is the place to start. Everything branches out from this. Sort of the basic premise that you said, which is it gets weirder progressively, is absolutely true for at least that interview that I listened to. Right. Okay. So the connections to Stranger Things are... I, I, don't, I haven't heard many people talk about this. As I've been researching, I've been brushing up on all my, you know, all this stuff for the podcast. And as I have, I've come across a few things where people make the comparison to Stranger Things. I think it's, as we describe it, I think it's going to be pretty obvious that there's a lot has been drawn from this but there's so much going on in this montauk thing a lot of this stuff is going to feel completely irrelevant but by the end you'll see how this all ties together with all this conspiracy theory stuff like everybody wants in on it everyone's coming out of the woodwork to say how they know what was really going on yada 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 Mm. there's a ton of conflicting conflicting ton of conflicting accounts on everything so my primary sources are going to be if you guys care three people preston nichols he's the guy whose stories were the basis of the book the Montauk Project, which kicked off this whole fad. Mm. There's Al Bybeck, 
who claimed to have worked for the Montauk Project, and he travels around the country. Or he did. He died recently. But he would travel around oh. the country telling stories of memories that he would call up. And this guy is such a good speaker. Like, he, you could ask him about anything, and he'll, like, tell you such minute details. Yeah. Like, he's super convincing. Less convincing is this third guy, Duncan Cameron, who... We'll get into who he is exactly, but he has clearly been roped into this whole, like, you know, story, whatever, and is, like, clearly not... It's too much authority that he's gained, and, uh. like, he clearly can't handle it if you listen to interviews. <laughs> yeah. These are our three main sources, and uh, you'll see who they are as I start talking about this stuff. I'm going to avoid using names as often as possible, unless they're, like, really essential characters. I've been nonstop all week listening to... Hours and hours of interviews. Most of the stuff they have to say is totally a waste of time. It's so yeah. mundane and boring. But like, finally, when you get to those good chunks. Yeah. So what I've tried to do here is aggregate all the most interesting bits of this story and actually tell it like a narrative, like actually try to get that across. Yeah. So I want to start with a prologue. This is before the Montauk Project started, but it's essential to understanding the story of the Montauk Project. It all begins a long time ago, during World War II. Two brothers, Ed Cameron and Duncan Cameron. So their father, Mr. Cameron, whatever, he was really high up in the military. He had level seven clearance. I don't know if that's a real thing or not, but that's what he had. And he was this guy who, he was really into his experimental programs in the U.S. military, and he sort of got his kids fast-tracked through school and everything to become parts of the government's most top secret uh, programs. So, for example, according to the stories, Nikola Tesla and Albert Einstein were both recruited by the Allies, by Roosevelt, to study invisibility, mm. to literally use their knowledge of science, space and, and energy and stuff to figure out how to warp space around objects and then render them invisible. This, this was very Command and Conquer. Project yeah. Rainbow. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, like, like, yeah, Nikola Tesla and Albert Einstein showed up. Roosevelt, like, asked them personally, please work for us. So this is Project Rainbow. And uh, in the 1940s, they were like, okay, well, we want to use this, like, militarily, obviously. Like, we're going to go out and make ships invisible and stuff like this. And they're doing it, and they're, they're studying and experimenting, and it's, it's working. Like, they're making all these ships invisible. It's totally cool. It's great. But Nikola Tesla, the eternal sort of like saint of like weirdos on the internet, he was the only one who was willing to stand up to Roosevelt and tell him they tell him where to stick his invisibility stuff. And this invisibility <laughs> technology I've created for you and given to you, I no want you to use it anymore. Well, they're like okay, so the, the way they describe this is like. Oh, yeah, he was just, he was such a pure scientist. He was just doing the research for the sake of the research. This is like totally, this is like, this is so <laughs> Re- revisionist from the actual his- history. Story. Yeah. So that's what Tesla, so finally he leaves. And once Tesla leaves, all of a sudden the project is fully in the hands of the government. I don't know what Einstein was doing. I guess Einstein was like, yes, <laughs> do all the mad science. So uh, the government, the US government's fully in, in control of these tests. And now they're like, they're going to start doing human tests with this, this invisibility stuff. Hmm. So, Jump forward to 1943, the Philadelphia Experiment. I don't know if you've heard of this. There was a movie made about it. Okay. The Philadelphia Experiment was, can we turn a ship invisible with people on it? Because obviously what good is an invisible ship if there's nobody on it to use it? Mm. You've got uh, the, the Cameron brothers, these two brothers I was talking about, Ed Cameron and Duncan Cameron. Just remember, these names are going to be are important for this, this story. 
So Ed and Duncan are two of the dudes on the ship because they're part of the Philadelphia experiment because yeah, their father sent them in. The ship is the USS Eldridge. Not Eldritch, even though ah. many Eldritch horrors and things are going to be, be, are gonna be popping up through this story. Eldridge. I'm sure that, that was not a, a coincidence. but <laughs> So the two brothers are in a van. And no, so these two brothers are in on the ship, and Ed Cameron is running the device on the ship to make it invisible. And it's being watched. There's ships all through the harbor. Mm-hmm. Everybody's like all these like top military dudes. Their father's there. Everybody's coming out to watch this experiment. The first instance of invisibility. Ed and Duncan. They're both below deck. They go down there. They activate the machine, and it starts up. Then things got kicked into 12th gear. Then things were kicked into 12th gear. <laughs> no, so they go up, and it's crazy outside. They, You can't see the water anymore. You can't see the sky or the land or anything. All around the ship, in a like a, a, a bubble, a sphere, is just this gray fog all around them. They can't see out. They're there, but things are getting crazy. Lightning, There's everyone starts screaming. Disaster and chaos, all this stuff. And Duncan is looking around. He's like, I gotta, I gotta get out of here. He's freaking out. Duncan can't handle it. Ed's there. He's the, he's the older brother. He's like, you know how we are. <laughs> he's the voice of reason. And Ed is trying to tell, he's trying to tell Duncan, like trying to calm him down. But Duncan can't handle it. Finally, he's like, I'm gonna jump off the ship. He goes for it. He's going over the ledge, and he's like, Ed, you gotta come with me. We gotta get out. We gotta get off the ship. This is not. This isn't right. And Ed is, he's hesitant about it, but he's like, Duncan's going to jump. I got to go with him. He's my brother. They're falling. They're mm-hmm. in free fall, just falling and falling and falling for forever. Like, it just seems like the falling never ends. They're just out. And finally, the gray fog, it starts to turn to puffy white clouds, and they're not falling anymore. Now they're just, like, floating. And they're out here, and all of a sudden they encounter this new world that they've never seen before. They're centuries in the future. They've been catapulted forward through time to a world floating in the sky, controlled by a benevolent artificial intelligence. They're really exhausted and damaged and things from from the chaos going on on the ship, like whatever radiation or whatever they were being exposed to or whatever was going on. Duncan has got it way worse than Ed, though. Duncan is completely infirmed but ed ed is okay to kind of walk around a bit and he's trying to figure out what's going on but at the same time he thinks he's been trapped in this bizarre future world until he's starting to ask questions figure out what's going on and the more questions he asks the more people start to question him and and finally are you from the past (laughs) he's finally taken before the artificial intelligence this ai who controls everything Hmm. and the artificial intelligence tells him i can't tell you what's going on all i can tell you is that you have to go back. You can't be here anymore. And he's like, why? I don't understand. The artificial intelligence is like, no, you just go. And by by means he has, he doesn't understand, catapult him back again. And Ed Cameron and Duncan Cameron, the two brothers, they wake up on this metal concrete floor. It's a military base that they're in. And they wake up and they see these scientists all around them. And they're people they recognize from their days back at the Philadelphia experiment, but they're mm. old. And these people introduce themselves and they say, hey, Ed, hey, Duncan, you've been gone for a long time. We want to introduce you to the Montauk Project. The year is 1983 now. You've been catapulted 20 years into the future. There's some stuff going down. You don't understand, but the USS Eldridge has been dislocated from time 
and you two have been dislocated from time also. And now the unharnessed energy floating through space-time will cause a ripple effect that will annihilate all of existence. And you two, since the two of you were the people from the ship who, who escaped, you're the only two who can go back and set things right. You have to go back, turn off the machine, and relocate yourselves in your proper point in history. So the two brothers are like, oh my god, what? And they're like, fine, yeah, we'll, we'll do it. We'll go back. How do we go back, though? How are you gonna, it's 1983. How are you going to send us back in time? And they say, let's introduce you to the time tunnel. Mm. They bring them over to this room. There's a giant metal chair in this room, and there's a giant, a giant doorway. It's not just a doorway. It's, it's a, literally, it's a Stargate. Yeah. And these brothers go over to the Stargate. They open the thing up, and it's just... It's a giant tunnel all the way down with lights everywhere. This is going to take you where you've got to go. You get back on the, on the ship, back to the Philadelphia experiment. You turn off this machine, set everything right. The two brothers go off. They're like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to go back into that freaky place that we, that we jumped off the ship, traveled through time to escape. Mm-hmm. They go down this tunnel. There's lights everywhere. They can see as they're traveling down the time tunnel, they can see like doorways off into other times and things. But they were warned, don't go those ways. Those ways are they're distractions and things. They can see bizarre alien creatures and the past and the future and everything and alternate versions of their own reality playing out Hitler winning World War II but they have, they have to bypass and go straight down straight down the path and they wind up all of a sudden they're back on the USS Eldridge found the ship and there's again there's lightning there's smoke people are screaming they've seen that the whole situation has progressed even worse they see men whose bodies have been fused to the hull of the ship they can't even move because their arms and shoulders and things are trapped their heads are still sticking out though they can still scream in pain and confusion and just madness of what's going on some of the people have clearly been affected by radiation they're just going insane ed and duncan are like we got to get down there we got to turn this thing off right away they rush down to the, the device and they go to try to turn it off and it won't turn off and Ed says, like, we got, we have to destroy this machine. He grabs an axe, he starts hacking at it. The machine won't turn off. It's still going by its own power. This this time vortex thing that they've opened is still going. And Ed is just destroying, destroying it. And he's done all he can. The machine is destroyed. There's nothing left of it. And they go back up to the hull, and Duncan, again, is like, we've done everything we can. We can't do this anymore. We have to go. I'm jumping off again. And Ed's like, no, we can't. We have to stop this thing. It can destroy all of reality. And Duncan's like, I don't, I don't care. I have to get off this thing. And Duncan goes to leave, and Ed stays on the ship. Hmm. Duncan jumps off. These lights are in the sky lighting everything up, and as Duncan falls out of view into this gray fog, Ed looks down. If he had waited just a moment longer, the device finally shuts off. The fog dissipates, and they're back in the harbor. Back in 1943, four hours have passed for the outside world. Ed is standing on the ship as as the lightning fades and his brother is missing from history. That's the prologue. Alright, sweet. So this is chapter two. Now this is the real Montauk stuff, and this is where we're going to get into Stranger Things territory. I'm going to jump ahead to 1983. We are going to follow the story of Duncan Cameron. Duncan Cameron is the brother who jumped off the ship. So Duncan Cameron wakes up 
he's been floating through the clouds and, and smoke and whatever, just like before. And he wakes up, he's back in the cement in this military base where the Montauk Project is based. Actually, I think they were waiting for him. I think they said that, that they were, they were prepared for them. I mean, well, they were prepared for them the first time also. Yeah. You know? And they're like, hey, you're here. The Philadelphia experiment, you know, it, it, it all worked out. Good job. Thanks a lot for, for doing that. But you're here now. Welcome to Camp Hero. This is the location of the Montauk Project. So the Montauk Project, they, they fill them in on what's been going on since in the past 40 years. Ed Cameron, back in the past... He walks off the ship. He's fine. He starts working on the Manhattan Project. We in, we <laughs> invisible some stuff and did some time travel. Now let's do like nuclear stuff. So an atom bomb now. Yeah, they no. I mean the government did all this stuff. This stuff as I go on, this there's some bizarre things. So he's working on that for a while. It turns out he disappeared during the Manhattan Project. He, he's just gone all of a sudden. No one knows what happened to him. Or if they do, they're not saying. Hmm. After the Philadelphia experiment ended, well they learned a ton of stuff. Basically they learned that. Time travel is possible. They learn that if you can dislocate a thing from time, you also dislocate it from space, so teleportation is possible. Mm. They learn that electromagnetism, energy and radiation and stuff or whatever, can manipulate the human mind because it drove people insane. So they learn that mind control is possible. So when you said radiation, I was assuming it would be like, we find out if we blast you enough <laughs> radiation that you don't die, you uh, just get mind control power. turn into a Hulk. You become a Spider-Man. And essentially, every sci-fi thing you can think of was suddenly learned at the Philadelphia Experiment, which is why this thing, like, if you talk to conspiracy people, the Philadelphia Experiment is, like, it's the zero event of yeah. of modern conspiracy theory stuff. So Duncan's like, okay, well, I'm here, I'm up in here in the future now, in the, the future of the 80s, where stranger things in the happen. Future. Basically, in the, in the intervening years, the U.S. government has been developing all this stuff. Long Island became the go-to place for all the craziest X-Files, Dharma Initiative, Fringe Division experiments to go down. And it started off with just mind control stuff. So like building radio towers. That's where this guy, Preston Nichols, I mentioned, he shows up here. He's an electrical engineer or something. He worked for the government, apparently, supposedly. This is, that's the story. Yeah. He worked for the government. He helped build these special antennas. They can beam thoughts and commands into people's heads, but it's all like through a computer interface. They gotta type everything in. So what they want is how can we psychically do it, basically? Like how, how can we just like think of anything and put it in a person's head without worrying about the code and whatever? These dudes, these dudes who tell these stories, they're so technically minded that they get into like all the minutia of how would you build the wiring on like a theoretical thing? Like it's all this stuff to sell it really well, you know? Right. And that's where this thing called the Montauk chair comes in. It's a chair that comes from, it's believed, the Nazis had it. They didn't build it, though. They got it from a downed UFO. It's this chair that the aliens sit in. Yeah, there's aliens in this story, too. So there's (laughs) aliens sit in it, and the aliens will use it to psychically turn their own thoughts into data. So basically, the idea was, we're going to take this chair that came from aliens. We can hook people up to it, and they can beam whatever they want into anyone's head. And they would start using that to mind control people. This chair, when you pump it up to 11, not only can it send thoughts as thoughts, it can take human thoughts and actually convert them into matter. So what they start doing hmm. is they're like, oh yeah, it was really funny. We'd always like, we'd always think about a, a Budweiser and it would appear on the director's chair because we know he loved Budweiser and he'd drink it and he'd be like, this is even better than the regular Budweiser. I love this psychic Budweiser you guys made for me. But here's a weird thing though. The chair will manifest a Budweiser 
they might be but they might be thinking the Budweiser at three o'clock in the afternoon it doesn't but sometimes it won't appear until 8 p.m or sometimes it won't appear until 8 a.m before they even did it mm. so they realize wait a minute we can not only send these this data like we can manifest but we can also send it through time yeah and that stuff so they're like this chair can be used to control time and not only could it be used to manifest objects it could be used to manifest entire reality like doorways to places and this is where the time tunnel gets built which is described as literally stargate like there's so many movie references if whenever you listen to these guys every single thing is described as it was just like them it was just like Total Recall. Yeah. It was just like the chair in Total Recall. It was just like from Lawnmower Man. You can make it. They got it. They got it from Montauk. A huge thing is like, yeah, no, so many movies and stuff contain actual secret histories and things because the government thinks that they put it out as a movie. Then us jabronis are going to be talking about on our podcast being like, oh, yeah, can you believe they think that Stargate is real and stuff like that? I'd like to discredit them. To be fair, uh, it's very. It's exactly what we're doing. It's an extremely devious plan, and I think that that's where you get into like the Jewish conspiracy stuff because they'll be like, "Well, you know, the Jews control Hollywood and stuff like that." It's like, okay, yeah, I guess that I, I guess that's an airtight argument. Sure. <laughs> so, so I was listening to this um, a presentation by this guy. It doesn't matter who, but in it, he's like, "Yeah, there's a real Stargate. Can you believe it? It's just like Stargate SG One. I watched SG One." You are a fanatic of SG One. Like I, you, you are obsessed with this TV show. That you also happen to go around saying, "Can you believe it's true? What a weird coincidence! My favorite TV show is actually real." <laughs> so, totally it, not me living out fancy. Yeah. So, it, but there's an episode which I, I remember this episode of Stargate SG One, mm. where there's a TV show that comes out called Wormhole Extreme, and the plot of that episode is that the government has taken like previous episodes of SG-1, which like happened in that universe, and they put him in this show within the show to discredit everybody. And he's like, they're taunting us. Do you see what they're doing? <laughs> he's like, the government knows that we know, and they're putting the fact that we know that they know into the show and blah, 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 and blah, all this stuff. And he's like, can you believe the audacity of these people? I, I'm, I'm sure the creators of the show are, in fact, taunting you. I, I mean, well, I'm sure they are. Yeah, 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 yeah. But not for the reasons they're saying. Exactly. So anyway, Duncan Cameron learns all this stuff, and he's like, "This is insane! What a what a what's this? What's this?" Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> and he's like, "Okay, well, this is where I live now. This this is what's going down." They're like, "Yep, we're ready for you." But what they didn't expect is that Duncan has been dislocated from time. You forgot about that, didn't you? Duncan's been dislocated <laughs> from time, and he's aging rapidly. Like he's gonna die soon. Like he's he's aging years every day. Hmm. And they're like, "Well, blah blah blah. What are we gonna do?" Duncan Cameron's dying. Cool Duncan Cameron over here, whose dad is the mysterious government guy. Main character of our story. Yeah, main character of the story. Essentially what they decide to do is they open up the time tunnel and they travel back in time to the 60s to speak to Mr. Cameron, the government guy dad. They talk to him and they're like, hey, here's the deal. You gotta get back to baby making because... Your son, your last remaining son, is dying rapidly of time sickness. And we are going to need you to make a new baby so we can send his consciousness back in time and put it in your new child so he can grow up and be a full-grown adult by the time the year 1983 rolls around. And then we're just going to continue where we left off. Easy peasy. So he does it, and he have a child... 
And they send Duncan, Duncan Cameron, he's he's wizened, he's aging so rapidly. They send him through the time tunnel. Be mean to that baby. What may I? <laughs> yeah, everything about this is weird. No, uh, weird. Yeah, I regretted starting that sentence in the moment. <laughs> so they blast his mind to the back back in time into the the little baby brother that he has. They put his brain into his big old cabeza there and and he's there. He's a child now. Fortunately for Duncan Cameron, he doesn't really remember this part of his life, mm. which is fortunate because what are you going to say? What, what? Goo Gaga E equals MC squared. How did the smartest know? baby. The, that's not even the weirdest part of this. The really weird, like, I don't know. Why, I don't know how this got agreed on that this was the official story, but they did hypnosis on Duncan, Duncan Cameron. Present-day Duncan Cameron loves hypnosis and all this mm. stuff. And he did hypnosis on himself to unlock memories from his childhood. And they were able to get the vaguest details. But here's the thing. The memories stop at the age 12. And what they've determined is the age 12 is the year that his consciousness got blasted into this kid, erasing the kid's previous personality. This child was alive for 12 years and then he got erased, and they were like, all right, yeah, bring us back the old son now. You live here now. What happened to that kid? Nobody <laughs> brings this up. This is completely insane. This, is, this, isn't, this wasn't a baby. This is a 12-year-old kid. This person yeah. has a fully formed identity at that moment, even if they're just like some Call of Duty rage case. That's like basically murder, basically. I feel like, yeah. He, yeah, he, he being John Malkovich is this kid who, <laughs> who knows what happened to him, is... <laughs> <laughs> he he might still be stuck in the brain like get out style just like no wait <laughs> like, trapped in like anyway so that ha- that's really weird right can you imagine like a full metal alchemist sort of the prince and greed like is sharing the same body where he's constantly talking to duncan cameron oh, right, right right yeah he's got like giant flaming head or whatever yeah yeah so that's weird duncan cameron's a weird guy like duncan cameron okay that's not even the weirdest part about him here's the weirdest part we'll get to it in a second so so he's a child now duncan cameron's a child in the 60s and now that this happens, his father is able to raise him. Like he's like, I got a new kid. Sweet. He's like, I'm gonna raise this kid in all the fanciest newfangled government programs. Mm. So like whereas before he like got him all trained for like the Philadelphia experiment, now he's got Duncan Cameron as a kid in the sixties with all their new crazy technology. So he enrolls Duncan, little 12-year-old Duncan, in the Silva Mind Control Program to train him to be a psychic soldier. All this goes down, and by the time we get up to speed, like the Montauk Project finally gets started, Duncan Cameron's on the scene, and he is now like the most powerful psychic. Like He runs the Montauk chair. So at this point, Duncan Cameron, full-grown Duncan Cameron, in his weird Mario Odyssey body, is living... He's working at Montauk with Preston Nichols, and also this guy Al Bielik comes on the scene. He's working there. So these three guys I mentioned up front at the top of the at the top of the hour. Just keep in mind our three main dudes. Ed is trapped in who knows where Ed is. So these are our three guys we're following now. They're all they're all here. They're all working with Montauk, and that's why these three guys feel qualified to talk about this stuff today. And modern Duncan Cameron can now mind control anybody in his audience <laughs> to believe. His stories. The thing he loves saying is like, well, you're better at this than I am when he does interviews today. Because the guy will be like, well, if you're saying this, doesn't that mean yada, yada, yada? And he's like, yep, you, you said it perfect. That's exactly what I would have said. Yeah, you did it better than me. 
He's he's definitely the most like appealing just because I think he he just seems the most embarrassed by all this. I and mean, he has good reason to because here's the story of what happens once full-grown Duncan comes on the scene and becomes the head of like all the psychic experiments. He's not the head of them, but he's like the guy who he's the point man basically. So this is when they start up the Montauk Boys project. And here's where things get really really weird. Duncan Cameron just becomes an unforgivable figure because originally they were trying to radio wave commands into people. Eventually they decide it's cool. We can send a remote control order into a person. They do it. It's done. What we want are full on mind control soldier slaves. We want a mind control army to do everything we want to Manchurian candidate, everybody. Mm. And the way they do this is they, first of all, they go around literally the way it's described by Al Bybeck is they go around in like kidnapping. a white van yeah. and just start kidnapping kids from Long Island. Yeah. And like Manhattan, it's like, you know, they move out, whatever. They're like, so it's like... Oh, well, yeah. here's the thing. I mean, Al, Al says that originally, you know, they would kidnap these kids and if they didn't want to do it, they just beat them up and stuff. Right, yeah. And they're like, <laughs> they're, they'd be like, hey, how do you want to be a psychic soldier for the government? And sometimes they'd be like, oh boy, that it sounds like peaches and cream to me. And sometimes they'd be like, that's my New England accent, apparently. <laughs> so sometimes they'd be New like... New York's not even New England. <laughs> isn't it? No. Oh, whatever. It's like, well, I mean, it's like right next to Connecticut, so it's I mean, basically. basically but... Anyway, okay, whatever. That's my New York. Okay, they'd be like, be like, hey, what are you talking about? I don't want to be part of this project. We're gonna go suck a lemon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, don't go suck a lemon. <laughs> so they start. They like beat these kids like to like just inches from death to be like, no, you're gonna be a psychic soldier for us. Which is like, first of all, if you gotta do that, your psychic soldier building program is awful. I feel like this could be finessed. Where they just bribe them with future money. Like, hey, listen. <laughs> Uh, if you want to be a soldier for us, like, if you don't think so, then, hey, you know what? You're poor. Uh, how about this? When you're done with the program, we wipe your mind. Yeah, we'll have you do psychic stuff for us at some point. You won't be able to do anything about it, but we'll give you a bunch of money so you can go to college yeah, and one stuff. day we'll activate you like a born agent or whatever. Exactly. But until then, you've been living the high life. Right. But luckily, David, yeah. I'll be like was there to tell them, hey, there's a better way. Old Nazi scientists are using the science of Sigmund Freud and Sigmund Freud's, like, uh, apprentice. The science of Sigmund Freud. (laughs) They've figured out the way to mind control some... Not mind control them, but, like, to actually, like, rewrite their personality is when you have sex, your unconscious and your conscious minds become one. And at that moment, you are completely open to programming. And this interview is the most bizarre thing. The interview with Al Bielik where he yeah. describes this. Because the interviewer is like, they're open, they're, they're susceptible to programming. How? Like, how do you program them? And he says, literally, I listen to this over and over again so I can get it as, <laughs> as accurately as possible. Because I like, still can't believe that he said this. There is a cluster of nerves in the male, specifically male anus, that can receive data information the only way to get at it is with a penis which acts like a usb drive you literally plug it in i'm sorry if you weren't expecting this this is the true story behind stranger things apparently (laughs) 
You have to have anal sex with children in order to program them with their new personalities, like sleeper agent, soldier personalities. And that's how they do it. And the interviewer, this dude, this interviewer, he's like a famous guy. This guy we listen to. Yeah. Who interviews these guys. Al Bielek and, and Duncan Cameron and Preston Nichols and them. This dude's been doing this forever. Like, this guy is the guy who gets all the data. Like, he is totally sold out on this stuff. And the moment that Al Bielek describes to him that this is how they would mind control people, like, he can't believe it. He needs, like, he needs them to, to clarify. <laughs> Obviously, and it's like, no, yeah, that, that's it. He talks about how they have to deprogram people the same way, like out in the wild or whatever. And I'm like, wait, I, I, I don't even want to ask what that means because. Anyway, this is how they would do it. Duncan Cameron, as the premier psychic of the Montauk Project, was the guy whose job was to have sex with children in order to program them to be super soldiers. So when I say that Duncan Cameron today has gotten in over his head and like legitimately seems embarrassed to talk about this stuff completely because the story they've invented for him is that he's You're a pedophile. He's a pedophile who would kidnap children en masse. Al Bielik says that it's in the the millions of children went through this program. Literally, can we can we stop and talk about yeah, that yeah, number? Yeah. Go for it. So Al Bielik throws around some questionable and incredibly startling <laughs> uh, statistics. He said that he spoke to a FBI guy who he can't name yeah. because, you know, uh, that would be too convenient if he actually had a, a source. Right. But he's like, oh, yeah, um, uh, about two million children a year. It's on the books, but trust me, yep. And and again, here's another point where the interviewer has to stop him. Like, two million? That's where did you get that number? so many people. That's so many people. And you know what? It, I was thinking to myself as I listened to the interview, like, that means, like, the entire population of the U.S. is, like, mind-controlled. You're correct. You're and there's a point where later on in, like, the interview, he's like, yeah, oh, I'd yeah, say yeah, about yeah. 90% of the American population has been a Montauk-like child. Has gone through this program. And, and the interviewer's like, I'm like a parent, like... This happened to my daughter. Right. This has happened to my daughter, and he explains to him like, "Yeah, he was in the time tunnel. Like they took him away." <laughs> and he's like, "How? Like my children? Like I you usually watch my children." He's like, "Well, because it goes through space time, they take them for like an instant, and then they're gone." Yeah, they can they can travel anywhere, anytime. Steal the kid, bring them back. Um, yeah, immediately. You never even realize they're gone. Yeah, no. This is helmet. I mean, Duncan Cameron. This process that he's been going through for. I mean. Eventually, science caught up with what they needed to do, and they were able to create electronic means to just, like, rewrite their personalities, which was much less invasive. Oh, here's the thing. Also, so so the Montauk boys, it was specifically boys at first because they were the only ones who have these nerves in their butts that let them, <laughs> that let them receive data this way. Once they invent electronic means, like machines that can do this, yeah, they open up to us all sorts of things. They can, they can hook not all, okay, they, yeah, you, they could do anybody. You could do boys, girls. Here's the other thing. The process only worked on white boys, as far as they know. Right, yeah. He, as Al Bielik described it, Aryan boys. Only Aryan boys this would work on, as far as they knew. I mean, I, I think he like kind of hints that like it probably, if they, tr- if they really wanted to, they could have gotten this to work with anybody. Yeah. So finally, you get into the next level, which is all electronic. This is more Stranger Things-y, where... You can hook people up to stuff, go through this program to mind wipe them or whatever. And at that Dun- point, they Duncan, can start... Duncan Cameron could retire from his pedophilic ways. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's what he goes on to do. He's also operating the Montauk chair, this psychic amplifier that can control the time tunnel and do all these other things. So as, as this guy, he's sent on all of these missions. They're sent on missions into the past to literally say, what would happen if Hitler won World War II? Right. Let's see how that goes. 
Let's see what happens if with everything you could you can conceive, every yeah. sci-fi, fantastical, time travel story you could think of has apparently like, oh yeah, well, nope, they did that. Of course they did that. Yeah. Yeah. What the interesting thing is is that they're talking about like, yeah, well, they went back in time to see if Hitler winning the war would make things better, and it's just sort of like they for the U.S. No. government, you know. Well, for the for the New World Order, the yeah, lizard exactly. people and everything, the aliens and yada yada and all right. this, the Masons and. Uh, Blindberg group and well, stuff. Well, I I heard that the Masons and uh, the Lizard people have falling out. So let's. Did they? Know. They were so good together. <laughs> I was really rooting for them. They'll probably patch it up. You know, things like it's a union like that does not die easy. It's like so spooky. It's pretty spooky. <laughs> Eventually, Duncan Cameron is sent on the mission that breaks him. After everything else he's been through, getting catapulted through time, obliterating the entire identity of his own 12-year-old brother and taking his spot in his in his head, being a pedophile by the millions, becoming a psychic soldier for the government, manipulating history, helping Hitler win World War II, yada, yada, yada. This is the thing that breaks him. He's got quite a CV. He's, yeah, right? He They send him on a mission. They're like, all right, Duncan, here's what we want you to do. You're going to go back in time and get DNA from Jesus Christ. And Duncan's like, oh, I don't know about that. And they're like, well, too bad because we pay you. And he's like, oh, okay, I guess so. So he goes back in time. Apparently, the way he tells it, he goes up to Jesus. Jesus is like, I know who you are. I know what you're doing here. And the answer is, yes, you can have my DNA. That's as direct a quote as I, I can remember. I love... Here's the thing. I mean, it's a little, it's a little going off. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I love how pseudo-religious it all is. Oh, all this stuff is. Yeah, once you get into it. Because you know, the interviewer is like, I mean, you could, like, stop the world from ending. Like, you could, like, kill the Antichrist. You're like, yep, they did that. Yeah. <laughs> Except uh, it didn't take. And then like, he's like, what? What? <laughs> yep, they killed, uh, they killed the Antichrist's father before he could uh, sire the Antichrist. <laughs> but. Right. uh <laughs> I completely forgot about that. They do this thing where people are like, well, what about this? What about this? I'm like, yep, yep, totally. Yep, exactly. And I think that's why this, in particular, the Montauk Project has everything in it. It's got time yeah. travel. It's got aliens. I, mean, I haven't even gotten into the alien stuff. I'm not even going to. It's got <laughs> aliens. It's got like minds getting whipped through time and visibility and teleportation and yada, yada. They go to mind, Mars. Mind produced like monster things. Like, oh, yeah. I haven't gotten to that. Oh, yeah. This is where like Stranger Things really overlaps. Duncan Cameron is so shaken by the fact that he had to go and turn Jesus into a science experiment that he decides, he starts working with... I'm just so religious. Well, here's the thing. Apparently, uh, he became extremely spiritual after that. And he's, he's sort of a quasi-something or other. I'm sure. Thing, I'm but. sure. After everything I've did, I gotta find some way to fix it. Well, and this is the thing, is that after that, he decided that everything he had done was so horrible, he couldn't live with himself. And he wanted to shut down the whole thing. So Duncan Cameron... A man flung through time back and forth has decided he's trying to to become the hero of the story now. And him within sort of an underground operation working from within the Montauk project itself decide to overthrow the facility. And this is Stranger Things, essentially. So here we go. We're finally caught up. We're back in the year 1983. On normal, ordinary day, Al Bielik, for whatever reason, he hasn't come into work today. Preston Nichols has. Duncan Cameron shows up. He's getting prepared for their ordinary thing, going to Mars, going to the moon, fighting aliens, rewriting history, all that magic school bus type stuff. He gets in the chair, but he's got a plan. He's going to tear this thing down from the inside. And when it's time for him to open the time tunnel, instead what he does is he draws on the energy 40 years ago 
from the dislocated Philadelphia experiment ship. He draws on that energy, pulling it through time to himself on the Montauk chair over this 40 year gap and uses his energy to summon a creature from his own subconscious. This is literally a manifestation of his own id. And this bizarre creature bursts out through the Stargate, the time tunnel. And it's described as a giant Sasquatch. <laughs> and this thing bursts out. No one knows what to do. As time has gone on, the stories have developed. And we find out this thing bursts on the scene. And it just starts murdering people. It just starts tearing into folk. It's killing everybody in the facility. It's destroying stuff. It's wiping everything out. And it's just going. It's, it's fueled by this power through the time tunnel. It's just wrecking the entire base, killing people. This is like the end of Cabin in the Woods. Scientists rushing around, just getting bodied everywhere they go. And Preston Nichols, as the electrical guy, he's like, oh, I gotta do something here. So he rushes. And it's the exact situation as the Philadelphia Experiment because he cannot shut this thing down. He tries to shut down the gate and it won't happen because it's being fueled by power beyond. And he takes an axe just like Ed did 40 years prior at this exact moment. He's tearing it down, but it won't break. And he's rushing through the facilities. This monster is just like on a rampage, destroying everything, eating aliens. And Preston Nichols is going out, destroying the bizarre little bits that are out in the vents. And finally, after all this time, the machine shuts down and the time tunnel closes. But the monster isn't dead. The monster is now just no longer being fueled by the time energy. And what happens is the monster becomes frozen permanently in this one moment in time. It can't be moved, it can't be spoken to or interacted with in any way. It's just frozen. So the only thing they can hope to do with it at this point is cement it over. They take cement, fill it with trucks of cement. They fill in not just the room the monster's in, in the facility, they have to do the entire facility. Nobody can ever know what happened here. The facilities, it's all solid. Everybody's taken, their minds are white men in black style. Nobody can remember anything that happened here. Duncan Cameron, mind wiped. Al Bielik, mind wiped. Preston Nichols, mind wiped. Everything's done. And the Montauk Project in that one day is over. And that's the end of chapter two. Chapter three is basically just today. If all these guys were mind wiped, why are they telling us these stories now? It's because the government apparently, in spite of literally everything that we've said they can do, can't mind wipe people at all. They're so bad at it. And all of the staff at these facilities, I mean, there's supposed to be like hundreds of people. Who there are so many places. people facilitating these facilities. But here's the interesting thing is that you've got all these Montauk boys, uh, people who were experimented on remembering but here's the thing, Alibi, like, if 90% of the American population was Montauked, uh, how come, like, 90% of the American population doesn't remember all this stuff? Because of Stranger Things, and this is the thing, is that they take these stories and put them in. So here's the connections to Stranger Things. We've got a child who's raised by a bizarre government father figure to be raised as a psychic soldier. Um, instead of a Montauk, the Montauk chair is sort of replaced with this, like, sensory deprivation tank thing that they've got in Stranger Things where she gets put into this thing and this is able to facilitate her psychic power. This is weird to me that I just found out kind of recently that this is only a theory. I thought that this was like pretty clear in the show that the, the monster, the Demogorgon that they're fighting, apparently it's only a theory that the Demogorgon is actually a manifestation of Eleven's id. If you haven't seen Stranger Things, 
don't worry about it. I thought that was pretty obvious, especially considering, like, she says, like, I am the monster is her big revelation after she finds out that she unleashed it. Right. I mean, like, where else is she going? Like, she's going into her own mind, it appears. That black yeah. area. I, I might have just read it that way because I was watching, like, I, from, like, the second episode, I was like, oh, this is a Montauk project. But... I don't know. I, I have no idea what they're going to do in season two, if they're going to follow that up. I mean, all the government conspiracy stuff is there. Season two of Stranger Things is Eleven going on a tour, talking about all of her experiences. <laughs> she goes on a book, a book tour. Yeah. Okay, so let's jump ahead. This is actually what happens to these guys. These three dudes. Um, first, you've got Preston Nichols. He's like tinkering with electronics one day, and he's like... Oh, this is this kind of reminds me of the mind control thing I built. Wait a minute. And he's like, oh, that's right. I And he like remembers everything. I, I'm a government agent who mind controlled people and facilitated all these horrible experiments. And uh, he's like, I should I have to let people know I have to have a book written. So and he goes on tour, all this stuff. He ends up meeting a guy named Al Bielik, who you may remember from the story I just told who suddenly hears this stuff and is like, oh yeah, I remember, I was there too. And he's like, that's right, you were there. And they go on tour together. And Al Bielik is like so good. Preston Nichols knows how to, he knows how to lay the foundation for a story. Al Bielik knows how to tell a story. Mm. Like he knows how to get so many details out there that it sounds real. Preston Nichols, you listen to him, he didn't write those books. His mm. stories are the basis for the books. He had, he had a ghostwriter. Yeah, and I remember there's a huge chunk in the interview I was listening to where he was just describing what the Montauk facility looked like and like sort right. of how it operated. Um, just sort of this massive facility underground. So much of their story is just mundane detail. Yeah. Which really sells it when you get to the... And then there was an alien at the base also who got drunk off Lysol and he smelled so bad we'd always spray him with Lysol and we thought it was so funny here at the Montauk base that we'd get the alien drunk. So you got these two guys. Duncan Cameron is happens to be working, just happens to be working as Preston Nichols' assistant on their book tours and yada yada and whatever, all this stuff. And Al Bielik meets him and he's talking to him and he's like, I sense... The voice is strong with this one. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I, I sense a strong... You're, you're very sensitive. Like, the sensitive meaning too. I mean, he has, he's a very sensitive guy, but he's also very sensitive to, like, psychically. He is very sensitive. He doesn't like talking about this stuff. He's very ashamed of it all. Um, as he yeah, for the be. story that's Multiple. been crafted about his life. Right, yeah, this identity he's been given. So Albilic is talking to him, and he's like, you know, I had a brother who was lost to me. In another life, I was a man who was in the Philadelphia experiment, and we were separated across time. Because of my experiences on the Philadelphia experiment, I was a liability. I knew too much. And forces, be they government or alien or whatever, they conspired against me i was going to be a very important person one day and they couldn't kill me so instead they sent my consciousness back in time to the 20s and i grew up to be a man named al Bielik. i'm remembering now i had a brother his name was duncan my original identity duncan is ed cameron you are my long lost brother all this time we've been working together we are actually siblings and at that moment, Duncan Cameron went from a weirdo dude who maybe had ASP hanging out with this guy on a book tour to suddenly being the second or third most important figure in the largest conspiracy theory in American history. And that is why he is so uncomfortable with all of this stuff, because the story he was given is awful. And Al Bielik shows to up to him, yeah. Al Bielik, basically, being the storyteller that he is, writes this story for Duncan Cameron to be like, this is your life now. You are this person. 
And Duncan Cameron goes along with it, and I think has been regretting it ever since, because everyone's like, oh, what's that? You're a man who not only traveled through time, and your consciousness went back in time and was absorbed by your baby brother, and now you became the top psychic who opened up doors to Mars and met Jesus and also had sex with children. Can you tell us about that? And he's like, I'd really rather not. And he, like, never gives interviews. It's really hard to, like, he. I've seen one interview, or, like, two. But he uses his platform to talk about all the spiritual stuff. Like he, you know, they're like he's a very spiritual guy, and that's where all this like new age stuff comes in. That like we we're talking about, like this weird mix of like you've got on the one hand like talking about the Antichrist and Armageddon, but then mind expansion, the pineal gland opening your third eye and your chakras and stuff, and this whole conspiracy theory. This thing is such a big story that I've only been able to cover the broad strokes of that people can come to it however they want. If you want to say it's demons, if you want to say it's the Antichrist, if you want to say this is just people trying to calcify our pineal glands. If you want it to be a completely secular type thing, it's just like government evil. If you want to say it's the Jews, like people do that. Like whatever you want to see in it, you can see in it. If you want to say it's aliens, there's aliens seemingly behind the scenes. So all this stuff, and I think that's why this story keeps growing and growing because like it's an inkblot. You can see whatever you want in it. And it's like super appealing. It's super appealing to me. It's a great premise. I mean, they've only taken the a very little bit of it, like some very little bits for Stranger Things, which is good. This is this is an insane mythology. There's a very lost. important detail that they left out, which is probably good that they did. This is a bad story. Yeah, that- we're not gonna make your show because it's like <laughs> awful. I said I said this story only gets more unbelievable as it goes. Here's the cherry on top. How did they fund all of this stuff? You know how they funded it? Nazi gold! They stole Nazi gold. And now they have gold and they can use it to basically do whatever they want. And that's how the government does everything. Here's the thing. I wish somebody told Hitler, like, hey, remember all that Nazi gold you have? How about you use that to win the war? You know how, like, everything's super (laughs) expensive. You can't make anything to win the war? Why don't you use all that Nazi gold you got? It really seems like the Nazi gold was an underutilized uh, resource of the Nazis themselves. (laughs) Yeah. That's it. That's the Montauk Project. And uh, it's very tenuous connection to Stranger Things. But it totally... That's the basis for it. Like, it's it's definitely there. The, the show is originally named Montauk. I mean, that, that was definitely a starting point for them. But that monster's still there. Junior is what they call him, mm. which is a weird name for your... He murdered a bunch of our coworkers. He murdered... Oh, a, like Junior. Their, like a their standards guy. are clearly pretty low on, like, things that they're going to get hung up about. David, did you realize that you used the word creepypasta there? Yeah, creepypasta. Yeah. You know what a creepypasta is then. Yeah, it's like a scary... Yeah, I know what it is. Yeah. Okay. I, I See, I know, but I want to know if you know what it is. If I know... You mean you want to know if the audience knows? I don't know if the audience knows what it is. I don't trust them. David, since you're the internet expert... I, um, yeah, I know, creepypasta. I'll... Instead of me telling you what a creepypasta is, let's just like... I'm just gonna... I'm just gonna give you an example of a creepypasta. Okay. This is, uh, this story began not too long ago. It was a dark night. It was, it was mm. pretty terrifying. Nobody, nobody wanted to be where they were. Yet there they were anyway, in the Olive Garden, <laughs> eating their five flight of Italy pasta dish. There was a uh-huh. terrifying tortellini <laughs> and a, and a horrifying... And a, and a frightening Fusili. <laughs> give up on that one. <laughs> David, I want to stop you for a moment. That's probably good. <laughs> because, because I want to ask you, um, are you just describing like a creepy dish pasta? of pasta? Yes. <laughs> See, 
That's that's a good bit. Um, so clearly, I don't actually know what a creepypasta is. I, I'm glad that I have discovered this. You and got I, me. I, can... I hope you're satisfied. Well, you're so sick. Guess it's up to me. A creepypasta, David, yeah. is uh, any any sort of scary story that you find on the internet. So mine was a creepypasta. All right, well, yeah, I guess in the most literal sense, yeah, it was a creepypasta. But no, I mean, it was a scary story, though. It, it, your tortellini was scary? I, I, don't, I don't get it. You didn't let me finish. There was a murderer and a Frankenstein <laughs> and everything. But... <laughs> okay, this is why I never... I, I, this is serious now. Okay. I never understood why it was called creepypasta. Like, mm. what is the deal with why? So, yeah, so there's scary stories from the internet, right? Like, yeah. they're just scary stories but here's online. a cool thing etymologies and like linguistics are totally like one of my uh not like hobbies there I'm you not go. this is what you it. bring to the podcast i bring it. to the podcast sort of a knowledge of language and usually etymology is like okay i, I kind of get that right this one i think it's a it's a little uh it's a little kind of you know, iffy but here you go so when you put something on uh, i'm gonna have the scary form. music playing underneath, <laughs> underneath this okay okay i have scary halloween music playing when you post something on the forums, it's called a paste. You paste it on the forums. Okay. But saying creepy paste doesn't quite have the same ring. So instead of saying paste, it, lacks, it lacks the inherent terror that pasta has. Exactly. Creepy pasta. Exactly. So it's creepy pasta. Um, so yeah, it's, it's like it's a scary story that you find on the web. It's just a corruption of the word paste. Yeah. Creepy pasta. Pa- pasta. Well, that sounds... Paste, pasta, pasta. Pasta. Pasta, pasta. Hey, I'm gonna give you some uh, pasta. Look at the good stuff you're learning on our podcast. <laughs> okay, David. Yeah. I have, like, a legit, genuine creepypasta here uh, from the internet. I have a special surprise also. Oh. And while uh, while you were talking to me, I yeah. was putting together this pretty cool soundboard. What? Uh, I extracted the audio of me saying, It's pretty spooky. <laughs> So now I can play it over and over again. It's pretty spooky. <laughs> so is this a... It's pretty spooky. It's pretty spooky. It's pretty stop, spooky. stop. So is this... The soundboard is literally spooky. the one sound. Yeah, I'm going to flesh it out over the course of... Every episode, I'll add to it, maybe. Eventually, we're going to do prank calls. This is going to be pretty sweet. Anyway, uh, yeah, so whatever. Yeah, do your thing. Okay, so this is this is a, a genuine creepypasta from Creepypasta. Dot org. Creepypasta.org. It's pretty yeah, spooky. Yeah, well, it's, it's a... Um, it's pretty spooky. A, it's pretty actual... spooky. <laughs> Please, uh, let's be... Let's take this seriously, David. Right, right, right. Um, and I'm going to read for you an actual creepypasta. So the name of this creepypasta is... It's pretty the spooky. Thing in the, win- <laughs> the thing in the window. I'm I feel excited. like if, you, if you're going to say anything is yeah. spooky, David. Windows, of, yes. Please, please uh, refrain from using your soundboard until like there's a part that is <laughs> actually spooky as opposed to me saying the word the at the beginning of the name of the creepypasta. <laughs> I, okay. I swear I'll save it for only the most spooky parts of the story. Please, please do. That thing has been there for almost a week. The figure on the window, it looks featureless. Only skin on a human frame. It's pretty spooky. And it's pressing itself against the glass somehow. It's pretty spooky. 
But I went back in and looked at the screen. Oh, no, I actually got stuck. Sorry. Wait a minute. I hope that you have been educated and that you pooped your pants. <laughs> I know I did. <laughs> Be, why, why, David, would you poop your pants? Because... Oh, wait, wait, wait. It's pretty spooky. And good night, everybody. And a happy Halloween. Hey guys, it's David again. The show is over, but I just want to come back and say thank you so much for listening. This was our Halloween episode. It came out a little bit, a little bit late, but everything in it is still good. I'm still really proud of it. You know, you know what time it is. It's time for the credits. This week, I really in particular want to say thank you to the mysterious artist known only as the Montauk Boys who provided virtually all the music during the Montauk Boys segment. They actually produced an entire extended, like a long album with different tracks that pertain to the different story beats of the of the overarching story. They work so well, like the, the music that you heard throughout the episode, those are the actual tracks which in most cases were written specifically for those parts of the overarching story. It's, it's really awesome. So I think you guys should definitely go check them out. You can find them at CerberusFutureTechnologies.BandCamp.com That's Cerberus, like the three-headed dog, CerberusFutureTechnologies.BandCamp.com Also, check out their website, CerberusFutureTechnologies.com It's pretty sweet, it's a pretty trippy website, just like their music. We also had a few tracks by Boris Blank, just to round everything out. And of course, we've got to say thank you to Something Unreal for letting us use his Windows XP remix up at the top of every episode. I know Season 2 of Stranger Things is out already, and a lot of our theories did not pan out about where it was going. So, you know what, it's alright, let's just uh, let's just enjoy some of this Halloween-y dance music until Thanksgiving really kicks in. Pretty spooky.